Hey, KDS families, this is Mr. Clement. This week, my guest on the podcast is Dr. Dan Doriani. Dr. Doriani is the author of several books and has taught at universities around the globe. He is a regular contributor to the Gospel Coalition website and a teacher of ethics at Covenant Seminary. A goal of this podcast since the beginning has been to walk with you as parents through issues and give tools and considerations in your parenting for topics that our students face each day. Today's topic is no different, and it is on gender. I want to give an open disclaimer that while the podcast is suitable for you as parents, it is not suitable for our students. So if you would, take a moment and listen in privacy. We hope that this episode can still bless you in the role with your child. Hello, my name is Taylor Clement, and I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School, and with me is Dr. Dan Doriani. Hi. Uh, good to be with you today, Taylor. And Dr. Doriani, tell us about your role both within the Kirk and uh, at Covenant Seminary. Right, and uh, so I'm here today because I believe in Christian education, uh, but a lot of people believe in Christian education, and I'm here to try to offer a little help because I'm the theologian in residence here at the Kirk, and I'm a professor at Covenant Seminary, and I teach ethics, which of course includes uh, gender and sexuality issues uh, fairly prominently in uh, the topics I research. Wonderful. And we have been going through a series of questions we've looked in back in December. We were talking about Advent and even things like the Santa question for, for parents and what that looks like. Uh, recently, we talked about bullying and defined bullying. How does that play out, particularly in the psyche of a child, bullying versus teasing? We're going to uh, have a few more coming out on media and the impact that media has on the heart and then the marital relationship and families and really what's feeding constantly. So uh, that's kind of where we are today. But one of the questions that we really want to talk about uh, and you and I have, have been speaking about is the question of gender. Uh, gender has become a very hot button issue. We've seen bathrooms go from men and women to uh, single sex or, or multi-sex restrooms. So let's, let's start with this because kids are asking different questions. They're asking harder questions. Adults are. A lot of millennials are. Um, this issue of gender, where, where do you see these questions beginning to come out? Um, and so uh, kind of broad sweeping there, specifically what questions are now being asked about gender? Yeah, uh, so there are a lot of questions being asked, and uh, for the sake of parents, I'll focus on a couple things. Uh, the first one that kids are more or less being forced to ask now, um, if they're in a public school anyway, or if they pay attention to the media a lot, is, are you gay? Right. Might, might you right. be gay? And so that thought, which uh, you know, usually occurs to people if they're same-sex attracted around the age of 8, 12, or, or 14, uh, is now sort of presented to kids when they're five or six. They don't really have categories for that. Um, so that's one. The second one is, uh, are you really a boy or are you a girl? And right. uh, biology is no longer considered the answer to the question. They now, sometimes on questionnaires, uh, ask people what their assigned gender is, which means that it's, it sounds like it's arbitrary. Right. Uh, it's not a matter of biology. It's uh, you know, somebody said you're a boy. Do you accept that? Well, I mean, right. there it's are biological truth, not, issues. Not there right. are biological issues behind male, male and female. I know we'll follow up on that in a minute. But those are two of the biggest questions. So the first question that you said about students having to ask the question, am I gay, 
there, there's an Office episode uh, where Andy Bernard, a character, a rumor goes around that he's gay, and he honestly is asking people, "Am I gay or not?" And he right, doesn't right. know. And it's humorous in the moment. And right. But this is this is the episode's ten years old now. Right. That question's gone from humor at the time of being asked to now actually being this very pronounced, serious question that, quite frankly, I don't think they could air that episode anymore because uh, of, of an ethics type yeah, of situation right, right. in a secular world. It would world. be considered insensitive, right. right. Uh, but, you know, just to stick with kids for a minute, um, and I'll just maybe talk about the transgender moment we're in, which definitely Please. is where we are right now. Um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, about one out of every 18,000 people claimed to be transgender. Today, right now, statistics seem to indicate that about one out of every 300 people um, who are in you know, high school, college, will, will declare, I am transgender. Now, most of those are you know, just um, swept along by the issues, the conversations of the day. Uh, psychologists know that a great deal of that is attention-seeking behavior. Um, mental troubles come in clusters. So you have, uh, you know, 50 years ago, everybody was schizophrenic, then everybody was bipolar, everybody was ADHD for a while. Um, there, are, there are other much less frequent mental problems. Cutting, for example, that right. was extremely rare. Now it's more common. People used to have what was known as a dissociative fugue state. During World War I, they would wake up in another country, wouldn't know why they got there. Well, maybe, maybe they were trying to avoid the draft in World War One, maybe not consciously. And, and so there's a long history of mental uh, trouble sort of finding its way into certain categories. We might say people are troubled, they look for a label, they look for the label that's hot in the culture to some extent. They know something's wrong, they're hearing about this, maybe that's my problem. Not trying to be uh, harsh with people who are troubled and don't know why, I'm just saying a lot of people are claiming to be transgender what they really are saying is, I need help. Something is wrong in my life. Uh, but the problem is that kids are being uh, encouraged to ask the question, maybe I'm transgender. And, and there are many problems that come with encouraging children to doubt their identity, including those who say I'm transgender and then start to get treatments which can be extremely harmful to health. So how would you define transgender at least, and, and I mean this in a very arbitrary right. way, what does transgender encompass, at least with, if I was to say transgender, with a question mark? Right, right. So there's two, uh, there's two, two basic ideas of it. One is um, that certain people are born with uh, irregularities in development, uh, including reproductive aspects of their body. And then there's uh, people who are deeply dissatisfied with their body. The, so the word transgender is used in different ways. Um, physical transgender, that is to say, uh, ambiguous reproductive organs, is the least common of all the categories of um, birth defects or failures of development in utero. So cleft palate is about 15,000 a year. Um, problems with reproductive systems is about a thousand, maybe a little bit less. So you can look this up in the Centers for Disease Control. You can't look it up today, they deleted the numbers, but look them up five years ago and you can find it, or 10 years ago, whatever. Uh, they're there, and so it's the least common. There are children born with uh, two X's and a Y once in a great while, um, and so there, there are a variety of things that can go wrong. It's not very common at all. Um, 
much more common is people who have what's called gender dysphoria, which is a deep dissatisfaction with their body, which can't, you know, I'm ugly, I'm, uh, I'm overweight, I'm too skinny, I'm not strong enough, I'm whatever it is. Um, but one aspect of gender dysphoria is that some people have the sense that I have the wrong body in a global sense, that is to say I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. What, uh, what is missed in the literature and the conversation today is that uh, a lot of times boys and girls will try on you know, the other gender, the boys will wear girls' clothes, girls will wear boys' clothes. Almost always resolves itself within a few months. Um, they're just trying things out, experimenting a little bit, if you will. And uh, the great majority of the time, if you just ignore it, or maybe just make a few comments here and there, um, you know, dresses are, you know, boys put it, wants to put on dresses, you could say, well, you know, dresses are pretty, aren't they? And your sister sure is beautiful, or your cousin, or our neighbor. Uh, and just kind of make a light comment and let it go, it just goes away. Um, it's when uh, we celebrate it, and when we for, you know, scream and shout about it, or certainly take hormones over it, that's when it gets worse. So you're saying, hey, most of this will go away. A uh, great majority of the time. Yep. One of the things that we often see with parents, and, and you know, it's kind of one of the, it's the old saying it goes, doesn't matter the size of the rock when it's in your shoe. Right. So a child comes right. home and, and they're dealing with something at school, they're right. very hurt by it. It becomes right. a major ordeal in the family. Now, it may only be three weeks, but three right. weeks in the life of right. a child is, is a much different yeah. um, schism than, than what it is in the life of an adult. Yeah. So for, but when that child is, is coming home or they're asking these questions, what advice would you give to a parent of, of how to be patient and, and waiting that out, especially because there's going to be some social norms and some social pressures that the parents might uh, feel. I mean, most of our listeners are, are believers. They have right. their kids in a Christian school. Right. So what advice would you give to those parents? Yeah, so what you want to do is label things well. Uh, you know, humans are labelers. And um, so your child comes home with a problem. Maybe they're being bullied. Maybe it's since you mentioned your series has bullying. By the way, if you have a minute at the end, I'd love to say a word about Santa Claus. But uh, so, so yeah. bullying, let's say. So you have a very uh, small boy, and I know you don't do this much, but once in a while people skip a grade, and then they're really small, and the older kids don't like them because they're getting the highest grades, and they're little, so they're bullied. And, and in this environment, some people will say, maybe I would be better off if I were a girl. So they're hanging out, start hanging out with girls and doing girl things and so forth, and then, then the problem is magnified. So what we want to do is, is label it. This doesn't mean you're transgender. This means that life is hard right now. It means that you're little and you're being bullied. This means that you are a boy who doesn't like trucks or football. Um, you kind of like being indoors. And one of the things we can do is say, okay, if it's bullying, let's address that. Another thing we can say is, there's a lot of a range of behaviors that are acceptable. Little girls can climb trees and stay in trees. It doesn't mean they're transgender. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with them. It just means they love the outdoors. And some little girls love to play sports with boys and they go at it and they're strong and they don't mind a collision. That is totally fine. The, the godly woman of Proverbs 1, 1 has a strong arm, it says, right? Um, one of my daughters uh, was the school champion in pull-ups in grade school. That's fine. It's fine, and and 
boys who want to do indoor things are fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And so we have to just say, well, there's a lot of room for diversity in the way kids express who they are and uh, don't demand that children conform to a standard like all boys are strong and love collisions right. and so forth. Right. It's just not true. Some boys don't love collisions. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean they're unathletic. They may be marvelous at some other sport that doesn't involve collisions. So don't force your children into molds that are unbiblical. A lot of our molds are actually um, from the broader culture. Some are reactions to the broader culture. You know, we're afraid our boy's going to be a sissy, so we push the other direction. That's not healthy either. Reacting to an error is not healthy. Let's go to this. And, and I love that reacting to an error is not healthy because I, most of the time, the, the drama that we see, especially at the parent or the family level, let's call it the, the family right. level, right. is because of reaction. Right. And, and it's an overreaction or an underreaction. Right. And it's not um, a walk. Things are surprising. Right. And we allow, we allow the surprise to encompass the emotion behind it. Yes. And, um, and it's not wrong to feel upset, you know, when your child's right. behaving in ways that you find troublesome or their life is, is bad. It's just, you know, we have to, even as we step back from an illness and say, I'll be better in two weeks, you know, we can step back from hot emotions or, or painful emotions and say, all right, I, underst- I feel this intensely. It's not wrong to feel an emotion about this, but it is wrong to have um, you know, the emotions completely dominate the discussion. So why do you think these questions are being asked now? You, you mm. mentioned a, a cyclical pattern, and there was. Right. There, when you mentioned World War I, um, the historians definitely showed there, there's been patterns of, of awareness right. as far as you know, the, uh, the difference in, in what the hospitalizations have been in different right, nations and right. different time periods. Um, and we've, we've grown or progressed as a society. But why do you think the, the homosexual, the transgender, these... There's actually a pretty straightforward answer. And what's one. that? At least most, most people ascribe it to um, the most more aggressive forms of feminism in the 60s and 70s, which declared in plain language that the woman's body is a problem, that women are trapped by their, uh, by their reproductive slavery is what some people called it Um, and so the radical feminist theorists said you know the the sooner a woman can get liberated from her body that is the imperative of having children and you know everything that's involved with being a female the better off women will be so you can track pretty carefully the beginning feminist theory late 50s 60s and 70s the body became a problem and then the body became a problem uh, swept or seeped, I'll say seeped, into society. And that's the root of it. That's what almost almost all scholars conclude that. Let me give a counterpoint to that. Yeah. A lot of child or teenage psychologists are now seeing, especially with, with you take the 1950s or 60s superheroes. Right. right. So take a Superman, take, take right. Batman. You know, Adam West was not in the most chiseled Batman, no, no. but but he displayed strength and, and everything right. else. If yeah. you look at the comics today, yeah. you've got Batman has more more muscles than than a case of beer uh, to to go off of that that yeah, analogy. Right, it's not right. a six pack. It's 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 a lot. 
Um, the armor's changed. Everything's right, yeah. changed to yeah. this, this greater masculinity. Right. And so Hyper masculinity. Th- there is. Call it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so these psychologists have said, well, now boys are more insecure about their bodies than ever. Yeah, right. Be- but you now have boys that. cutting themselves, which right. is relatively new. Yeah. Right. So where would that parallel compare to? Uh, w- how would that parallel to the rise in feminism? Right. Of right. That sure. Time? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, broadly speaking, the body was, was viewed as a problem started in, in the 60s and 70s, and then once that is in the air, then the body's a problem in other ways. The other great issue. This is now not theory that I've read a lot of places. This is maybe a little bit more my theory. Is uh, I mean I'm not alone in it, but um, we now have uh, gone from in the last yeah. uh, hundred years from the problem of not enough food. So almost every society for almost all of human history was two bad harvests away from starvation. Uh, today, we have the problem of extreme overproduction of food. Right. Which then means marketing food and marketing food that's got high markups, which is then quasi-addictive and some foods, junk foods, especially with the salt and the sugar, are, um, are, are um, tailored, if I may. Um, to uh, get people to want more and more of it. So uh, there's that, but there's also just the general problem of, of too much food. You can watch how people are getting heavier and heavier over the years. And so then you have the reaction to that. They get, they're getting taller, but they're also getting uh, more adipose tissue. So um, the reaction to that is to, is to go the other direction. Let's be hyper let's go to the gym, let's get cut, let's get chiseled. And again, a, a re, an overreaction is not the response. The response, the best response to lack of staying in shape and being overweight is to lose a little weight and get some exercise, not to go crazy yeah. and uh, demand a new standard of masculinity. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. It's, and I think part of it, for sure, at least what I've seen within my generation, my friend groups, and thus subsequent generations, right. definitely has a comparison as of the thief of joy mentality as well yes. with, with social media and the visualization right, of right. it. Yes, We're exactly. seeing more of it, and our children see it from the onset. And if they're watching a show uh, on Hulu or Amazon, right. you're going to see even the, an adult commercial come on because they know the parents might be in the room right. mm-hmm. to, to, put that, to put that mentality in them. It's kind of the old daytime TV commercial, but now you're seeing it and your ads, you're seeing it if you're not clearing right. your cash, et cetera. Yep. Um, and so or is that a contributing factor, at least from, from what you're seeing? See, I, I, and we you're, know that anecdotally, yeah. but. Yeah, absolutely. So the media, which is another one of your topics, uh, is showing up here, and uh, naturally you want to catch eyeballs, right? That's the values to get clicks and eyeballs. And the way you do that is, uh, you know, sometimes to put somebody who's amazingly different looking, including maybe people who are not typical models for whatever reason. Uh, you know, a young man who's very bald to pick something kind of neutral. Um, but another way, of course, is to put beautiful people. And if you have ever read about the way photo shoots are prepared for, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hours of preparation. You know, the model doesn't just come in and get a photo. And you know, the, the guys with six, pack, six packs, I don't know, do you know this? Uh, I've they don't heard just some, yeah. actually. They don't just naturally have it. They they go on hydration loss for a day or two, so that their skin is just has got less water, which makes them look more ripped. Uh, it's uh, That's th- this is uh, it's like wrestlers getting ready for the weigh-in. I mean, they manipulate it. They oil things just right, and it's and the lighting is in a certain way. 
these are not even even the people we see on models don't in the ads the models we see in the ads don't usually look like that right it's a manipulation tactic yeah i mean they're they're attractive people there's no question they're in shape in some general sense but they don't look as good as they look on the uh in the photos well it's interesting you say that having lived in nashville yes uh, th which which now has more celebrities uh right. than, than ever we would occasionally see these celebrities right. out and about, and it was right. an uncommon. Starbucks was one, uh, right. the mall was another, and you would see the celebrities. They don't quite look the way. And they do not look <laughs> like. You know, like it, it looks similar. You can tell right. who and they are, some but it's not people. No yeah, question. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. But it's it's a very different deal because yeah, you're so. They're used to ordinary, see. attractive, not super beautiful. Correct. Right. Correct. Mm -hmm. So, we we've answered the question of why these are being asked. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the uh, an anti-Christian question, I guess. Okay. What are good arguments for the these people? Have you heard good arguments where you're kind of going, okay, in a, in a logical, sure. rational way, they're actually making a good argument here. Now we we're going to yeah. talk about what Scripture says. Right. And we're going to talk about what we believe. Yeah. But are there good good arguments? Because these arguments, and I would say that there are some out there, create greater confusion for our kids, and we want to teach our children. Part of our mission is to is to partner with Christian parents to educate children in a Christian worldview according to the truth of God's Word. Yeah. So if we're going to educate them in this Christian worldview, we also want to make sure that we're preparing them for these good arguments. So have you heard of, of good arguments for this? I mean, I can give you three points. Uh, there are developmental irregularities genetically, and they affect every system. They affect the central system. They affect the heart. One of the most common birth defects is reversal of the great... Um, the great... Um, arteries of the heart and mm. you know I know somebody who had that reversed that's like 5,000 a year I forget the exact number uh, and so there are genetic abnormalities and they do pr touch reproductive systems and there are people with two X's and a Y and so forth that create uh, challenges so we have to admit that um, body dysphoria is a very real issue it always has been to some extent um, and so we have to take it seriously and and we certainly should be sympathetic with people who who have a profound antipathy toward their own body. It's a very sad, our first reaction should be empathy for them. Mm. Uh, who would want to wake up thinking they have the wrong body or hating their body every day, right? right? right. So we should be tender to that. Um, you know, the the uh, gender bathrooms issue kind of makes me laugh because <laughs> in my house, all the bathrooms are unisex. And right. it, it tends to work out somehow. Um, in most people's houses, you know, we, we figured that out. And if you go to Europe, I mean, especially go to Eastern Europe, and you go to church, there's no men's bathroom. No, there's just bathrooms. Right. <laughs> you just right. go in and use it. It's, uh, we probably make a little bit too much of a fuss. Now, you know, people declaring a, a man, a boy, declaring I'm a girl, and saying I want to use the girl's locker room is a very different issue. Um, but I think we get a little bit hyper about some issues like bathrooms. Well, and staying stay on this side of the argument, the one of the major major phrases right now is you know that's your truth and we want to respect your truth now i'm getting into yeah. some postmodern philosophical type of right, question with sure. this but i do feel like that has perpetuated this conversation for of a course, lot of people yeah. how would you answer that to someone when it's not our truth and as a matter of fact it's not the truth of god's word and that's right. what we're going to hold in higher esteem than anything else yeah there's there's a, a book by uh a fellow named uh, I forget his first name now Anderson Charles I want to say Charles Anderson but I feel it's wrong that's wrong somehow uh, when Harry became Sally and uh, it's, it sounds like it's a snarky book but it's actually very well researched um, he points out that 
um, the people, and Nancy Piercy in her book, Love Thy Body, says it a tiny bit as well, um, that the people who say that's your truth about gender tend to be sociologists and psychologists and the medical community um, is just uh, beside itself. This People are male or female, they just are. And um, you know, a sex change operation is actually a misnomer. Every cell of the body is either male or female. Everybody knows that in the medical field. It's always been that way. There is no doubt about this. So, uh, you know, your truth, et cetera, is, uh, you know, maybe works on YouTube and in songs and so forth. But if you go to a hospital, they're not asking, you know, what your truth about your sex is. They're asking you whether you're male or female, if they want to treat you. <clears throat> it's kind of like saying, um, you know, dropping this pen and expecting it to fall is your truth. It is my truth, and it's everybody else's too. Because right. if, it's a law of gravity. <laughs> if, uh, if I drop the pen, this is what's going to happen. And um, no medical person takes that sort of statement seriously with regard to somebody's gender or how we treat somebody. Are they male or female? What, what are the protocols right. that, we, uh, that we go through when we have a, you know, an, an injury to, uh, say, somebody's body that needs to be treated? Well, and, and you're an athlete, and one of the well, I, I was an athlete anyway. But well, you still play. You still play. Um, and 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 I, I definitely am a big sports fan. But one of the things that we see is there's a, a striking difference in in male and female athletics. Um, yeah. Be it Title yeah. Nine, be it equality. Right. That, that's not where right. I'm going with it. But for the standards uh, by the IOC, uh, we're getting ready to to see some patterns, and, and there's been some things that have crept up over the years. What do you have any kind of predictions or um, any assumptions right now that you see moving into that category? Because that's going to be very difficult, um, especially if, more importantly if a man wants to compete against right. a woman. Right. And this is actually happening in the state of Texas right now. Right. A, yeah. a, a boy, uh, right. or a girl, excuse me, that is identifying as a boy and is trying to now become a boy won a state title wrestling in the mm -hmm. girls section when everything about them looks and acts and is physiologically like a boy. And right. so there's some, some misnomers, but any, any kind of predictions you, you have there? So I, I have an oddball prediction, and that is uh, when we have, uh, obviously this has to be worked out. Of course. And uh, people are gonna have to decide how far they wanna go with um, uh, placating cultural trends because um, you know, it could be dangerous for boys to compete as girls. Uh, they tend to be just bigger and stronger, biologically speaking. But what I'm gonna predict actually is something different and that is this is, this is gonna be sorted out through um, law, lawsuits and somebody's, people are gonna start getting hurt and then people will be sued. And this is the way we resolve our problems in our country nowadays to a yeah. large extent. Yep. You, you wait for lawyers to find a cause to sue. And this is this has started to happen with people who are uh, too quickly given hormones uh, to change from male to female or ma female to male um, and it has side effects and it hurts people's development when you do this with a 13, 14 year old. We know there's some harm, we don't know how much harm because it, we're creating this random experiment with these drugs. But uh, people are starting to sue because they've been harmed. And the literature's out there, Anderson's book has a chapter on people who detransition and and they talk candidly about, uh, you know, the damage to their bodies caused by taking hormones for 10 or 15 years. 
um, or 20 years in one case that I read about. So we're going to have to sort it out, and it'll probably be through the courts. Yeah, uh, and I would agree with that. That's yeah. that's that's where at least. So let me do it. Yeah, and you know there'll be good lawyers arguing well, and we hope they prevail. Yeah, yeah. Last plain question that I have: yeah. What does Scripture say about this? And it starts. Yeah, you sure. mentioned it earlier, right? Genesis one, male and female. Yeah, right. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. So what what does Scripture say when it comes to this, and when it comes to people who who are struggling with their their body, are struggling with their identity, right. Right. are struggling even if there is a true, um, you know. XXY situation right. for them. Yeah, so again, let's say, first of all, you know, this is a fallen world and things go wrong um, in utero. Therefore, uh, what we don't do is say that's normal. We say that's abnormal. The norm is God created the male and female, male and female, he created them. It said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so our sexuality is, is you know, obviously linked to reproduction, to families, to the human race propagating itself. And God created the male and female is, is, doesn't just appear one time. Right. Jesus also says it. It's repeated later in Genesis. Uh, there's lots of teaching about male and female. Man's not supposed to wear a woman's clothing and so forth. It, this is, there's not a verse or two we can say, oh, well, that's the way it was in the beginning. It's passe. Uh, there is a fall. It does corrupt things. But after the fall, there's still a great deal of male-female teaching. So... Um, which touches homosexuality. A man should not lie with a man as a man lies with a woman. Well, that's the binary there. So there's no question that um, there are norms. There's there's deviation because of fallenness, but the norms still hold. I mean, look outside. The universe is broken, but it still holds together. Right. You know, right. Things still work well enough for us to go about, about our business. And, I, and that's what I would say. I mean, we have to we have to say there are problems, but that doesn't make them normal. It doesn't mean there is no norm. So let's hold on to the norms and say, okay, now there are problems. Let's address them as problems, not as alternate realities or just as good as anything else. And uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Scott Sauls, argues yeah. that while Scripture can actually show some progression in the treatment of slaves and it right. shows progression in right. the treatment of women, Right. It doesn't change from Genesis the to Revelation right. on on this right. on this specific, and and I think that's a very that's a very telling and, and interesting argument right. uh, on it uh, in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I do want to talk about Santa Claus. Yeah, for one please. Second. I was going to just ask toss it in there. Yeah, throw it so, in. So, um, my kids, uh, you know, had the Santa Claus thing. We resolved not to uh, deceive our kids ever, and that we knew that meant Santa Claus. I mean accidentally deceive them when we say something that's false we didn't know right, it was false right, right. Um, at the time um, so uh, it just came up with my granddaughter who's uh, five and she said well you know there is no Santa Claus in her class and uh, the kids worked it out themselves but what we always said was Santa Claus is based on a real person Saint Nicholas who was a man who loved Jesus very much he lived a long time ago he gave gifts to children, especially the poor children, and that's a marvelous example to emulate. And basically, Santa Claus is a form of Saint Nicholas. I mean, it's yes, it's the same word. He was he was a real person. He loved Jesus. He's with Jesus, and and we have fun with the story. We were just having fun with the story, and then we always would teach our kids about tall tales versus true stories. And so Santa Claus, St. Nicholas is a real person, and then we kind of made a tall tale out of it for fun. 
that's very so that's well said. So we handled it. So uh, we're honest. They can have fun with it if they want, and they know there was a real person, but there is no one who has the uh, quasi omnipresence that Santa Claus has. Yes, on and the that 24th. is. We I will say we celebrate it a, a little bit more than that. But our goal is the one not give the uh, omnipresence. Uh, yes, to, don't to give divine attributes to. But but he our, knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. That's also divine attribute, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> we do not want that. Right. The the other thing is that what Santa does is to celebrate the birth of Christ. And right. We try we yeah, try good. we try right. and have that that yes, conversation. Right. But I, I like yeah. that. Uh, yes, yeah, Saint Nicholas. Um, we there was a school I used to work where a gentleman would dress up as Saint Nicholas, the I Turkish costume, yes, the yes, whole right. deal, uh-huh. and come to te- to teach that story yeah, right. of, of who yeah. that was. It's a great so, yeah. story. Yeah. And he, he was a good man and a wonderful caretaker, and uses well for others. And and uh, we say when we give gifts, we're imitating the Magi, right? Yes, yes. We're celebrating, and we're celebrating like the shepherds. They didn't bring gifts, but they came, and uh, Saint Nicholas was doing that, and. And away we go. That's great. Yeah. Hey, thank you for Good your to time visit. today. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.